Good morning, and welcome to Stony Creek United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Michael, and I'm excited for you to join us today on the first Sunday of Advent, November 28th. Uh, this morning, uh, this service is only going to be available via our Facebook page, um, our call-in number, and our podcast. We do not have our drive-in uh, access this morning, so um, hopefully one of those options work for you. Um, and you are still able to join us. Uh, I think we might have one or two announcements. Dave, I know there was something you wanted to bring up. Yes. <clears throat> yes, this is Dave Monson, and we are starting our new Bible study this Tuesday, November 30th. It's Max Licato, Because of Bethlehem. It's four sessions long, and it'll end the Tuesday before Christmas. Time, start time is 10 o'clock. Hope to see you there. Okay, and do we have anything else from anybody else? Nope. All right. If you would start us off. Will you please join me in the call to worship? Christ, the one who was and is and is to come. Welcomes you to this place. At one body with one voice. We, we honor, honor and glorify, glorify the, the giver, giver of wisdom. wisdom. Counsel knowledge, and joy. Amen. Amen, so be it. Our first hymn this morning is Angels We Have Heard on High, in the hymnal page 238.
Will you join me in our opening prayer? O, o root, root of Jesse, O peace, stir up your power within us, that in this time we may await with abundant expectation the fulfillment of your eternal presence in creation. For you live and reign among us, maker, savior, and giver of life, one God, now and forever. Amen. An Advent meditation, time for reflection. The promise of God that are coming to fulfill in Christ should compel people to confess their sins. John asked to examine ourselves rather than back in holiday wonder. We should bear good fruit rather than worry about material things to get or give. John is almost comical figure, dressed in camel's hair and eating locusts and wild honey. But his message is hard hitting. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent is confusing concept to many Christians today. Does it mean feeling sorry for our mistakes? Is it a matter of trying to be better person? Is it repentance something that we even need to do? If our lives are now hidden with Christ our Savior. What John and event remind us is that repentance is not primarily about our standards of moral worthiness, but rather about God's desire to realign us to accord with, his, with Christ, um, Christ's image. For Matthew, John's strange clothes and harsh sayings are necessary aspects of the communication, the fulfilling meaning of the gospel. While warm and fuzzy feelings at Christmas time are not all wrong, they fail to capture the full picture of what God has done for us, us in becoming human flesh. Where are your priorities out of alignment with God's? Turn me back to you, O God, and transform me in the image of your Son. Amen. Now we will light the Advent candle. The candles on the wreath have their own special significance. The four candles represent the four weeks of Advent, and one candle is lit each Sunday. Three of the candles are purple because the color violet is liturgy color that signifies a time of prayer, penance, and sacrifice. The first candle, which is purple, symbolizes hope, and it's sometimes called the prophecy candle. In remembrance of the prophets, especially Isaiah, who foretold the birth of Christ, is represented the expectations fall in the anticipation of the coming Messiah. Now we will sing, light the, uh, now we will light the Advent candle.
you now join me in Affirmation of Faith, written by Reverend Stephen M. Faring, stephenmfaring.com. We, we believe, believe that God, God has come, come to us, us. that God, God brought, brought us into being, being. that this, this God, God gave us breath and purpose, that, that we have been blessed to be a blessing, a blessing to others, that we have fallen short of this commandment, but that God has nevertheless loved us despite our brokenness. We believe that God is coming to us, that God is not happy to leave us alone, that this God will come to us as a particular human being, that God will be made known to us in flesh and bone like ours, that Mary will soon give birth and Joseph will soon clap his hands in joy, that Jesus Christ will be born and our salvation made complete. We believe that God will come to us, that God will have the final word and that word will be good, that this God will give us the presence of the Spirit to continue our work, that we are called to be disciples to all the corners of the earth, that the day is coming when tears and pain will be no more, and all will gather at the table to sing an endless and perfect Alleluia. We bear fruit worthy of our repentance when we give our tithes and offerings for the well-being of the poor.
you would join me in our doxology. give you thanks, Holy One, for all the good things, for this universe and for earth itself, for the creatures and plants, for water and food, for light and darkness, for Jesus, our brother, who enlarged our vision, setting himself before us as the bread and wine of abundant life, and for the Holy Spirit, who comes to us in baptism and moves in our midst with the power to lead us to you. Turn our offerings to your good will and turn us always to you in gratitude. Amen. We will now continue with hymn number 240, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Yeah. 
Now, if you would join me in the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, (coughs) excuse me, in the Lord's Prayer, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you would join me now, again, in an attitude of prayer. Let us pray to the Lord, saying, Hear us, O God, your mercy is great. We come to you this day, O God, with a deepening anticipation of your birth among us. We thank you for the gift of your love. Hear us, O God, your mercy is great. We pray for the church throughout the world and for all the ministries that build up the body of Christ that in our many vocations we may serve to your glory. Hear us, O God, your mercy is great. We pray for this nation and for all nations, remembering especially those who are victims of political and social injustice. We pray for elected officials and all leaders that they will govern with courage and equity. Hear us, O God, your mercy is great. We pray for all in need, for the sick, the destitute, and the dying, for the strangers in our land, for the invisible ones, for the elderly and children, for parents and grandparents, for those who live alone and those who live lonely in the midst of family. Hear us, O God, your mercy is great. We remember with mercy those who sleep without shelter, cold and vulnerable, lacking enough food, those who are overworked and those who have no work. Stir up in us the capacity to see ourselves in their struggles and to act so that others may have abundant life. Hear us, O God, your mercy is great. We pray for this community, for our neighbors and friends, and for those with whom we study and work Guide and strengthen all people in our common life to know the gifts of your grace and love. Hear us, O God, your mercy is great. We give thanks for the saints who have gone before us, asking that our gratitude for their witness be apparent in all that we do. Hear us, O God, your mercy is great. May all that we ask and all that you see is needed in our world be given to your people through Christ our Lord. Amen. If you would join me in our prayer for illumination. Your word, holy God, was written for our instruction. By your Holy Spirit, open our ears and fill us with the mysteries of your ancient love. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah 7, 
verse 14. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 and 4 through 4. Isaiah 53, verse 5. And Isaiah 61, verse 1. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child, and she'll bear a son, and she'll be, name him Emmanuel. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide the equity for the meek and the earth he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked but he was wounded for our transgression crushed for our inequities upon him was the punishment that made us whole and by his bruises we are healed God's new deliverance the spirit of the Lord God upon us, upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed and bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release of the prisoners. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our next hymn is It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. In the hymnal, page 218.
second scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. This section is titled in the beginning, The Birth of John the Baptist Foretold. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and the regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once, when he was serving as a priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and the power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur." Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you would join me again in an attitude of prayer. God who offers hope to the hopeless, love to the unlovable, and grace to the undeserving, we come to you this Advent season humbled by what we anticipate. We await the birth of your Son, our Savior, who will do many miraculous things on earth and then offer the ultimate sacrifice for the salvation of the world. We ask that your Holy Spirit might walk with us throughout this season and help us to hear where you call, see what you would show us, and continue to share your love and grace with all the world. 
And now may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts together in this place be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, here we are, the first Sunday in Advent. We have officially entered into the church's season of anticipation and hope. Over the coming weeks, we are, as we continue to celebrate this time that leads us into Christmas and the coming birth of the Savior, we're going to be looking at one particular creation of God that has served many different roles throughout Scripture but has been especially front and center during this season. Today we begin our Advent and Christmas sermon series titled Angels with a Message. Now I created this series originally many years ago, but I'm not going to just re-preach what I originally created in the past. Rather, I've taken a great deal of time to rewrite, re-research, re-examine, re-exegete all of the scripture passages and commentaries. Now, as I alluded to, and I'm guessing you've already figured out, we're going to be looking at God's creatures we know as angels and their work during these seasons and time in the scripture passages that we relate to these seasons. One of the critical doorways into the vision of Advent and Christmas is opened for us by angels. Angels are found almost everywhere during this time. In fact, the largest concentration of angels anywhere in the Bible occurs right here in their rebuking, informing, encouraging, guiding, protecting, advising, and most of all, worshiping. And when we really look at it, their presence and message did precisely back then what we desire right now today for ourselves and for all people. These angels transformed the vision of ordinary people who were going about their ordinary daily routines by revealing to them that the living God was in fact entering their world. And in the case of the shepherds, the living God was coming practically right in their neighborhood. From a rigid priest to a baffled young virgin, to a strict fiancé, to common shepherds and several others, they were all met with messages by angels. The impact on each of them was profoundly life-changing so we ask ourselves if these people could be led to see the incarnation through the angel's eyes, are we also not invited to do the same? So this morning as we look at our message titled, A Message of Hope, and we begin in the Gospel of Luke with the story of the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist. Now Zechariah was a priest during the days of King Herod of Judea, he was married to Elizabeth, who was a descendant of Aaron. And that time, he was on duty in the temple. And part of his duty, based on drawing lots, which was the custom in the priesthood, he entered the sanctuary of the Lord and was offering incense. And while the whole assembly of the people were praying outside, 
an angel of the Lord appears to him at the right side of the altar. And Zechariah sees this angel and he is terrified. Much like almost everyone else in scripture that we have read about who encounters an angel. Now, I don't mean to get off topic here exactly, but for a quick moment, have you ever wondered why people seem to be frightened when an angel appears to them? I know that when I was younger, I just assumed that it was because they appeared out of nowhere um, and probably were kind of glowing, had the halo, the wings, and you know maybe a harp. Um, and based on when we hear about them appearing, it doesn't sound like there's any kind of great you know, burst of sound or anything. It's just like, poof, they're here. And I figured it was either that or because their appearance, appearances of angels were known to have happened throughout the history of God's people, but they were rare enough throughout time that it just caught you off guard when it did happen because it was such a rare occurrence. And either or both of these possibilities could absolutely be true, at least in some situations. We tend to think of angels as looking like people, wearing probably white robes, the big white wings, the halo, harp, maybe a trumpet. But angels are also described in some other ways in Scripture. Cherubim, or cherub angels which are the ones that Valentine's Day has taken and made the cute little baby Cupid angel. They are described in Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 4 through 11 in this way. As I looked, a stormy wind came out of the north, a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually. And in the middle of the fire, something like gleaming amber In the middle of it was something like four living creatures. This was their appearance. They were of human form. Each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings on their sides, they had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each of them moved straight ahead without turning as they moved. As for the appearance of their faces, the four had the face of a human being, the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left, and the face of an eagle. Such were their faces." Their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. Little bit different than that little Cupid one that we see on Valentine's Day cards. Seraphim angels are described in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2, as seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings, with two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. There are other creatures mentioned in Scripture that may or may not be angels, uh, including the wheels with eyes that Ezekiel also describes in chapter 1, verses 15 through 21. Um, I will spare you that description at the moment. 
There are biblical scholars and historians that believe that there are also the angels who seem to be strictly messengers for God and that those are the closest looking to humans. But even in those, there's no mention of them having wings in Scripture. Gabriel is the angel that we encounter here in Luke and in several other places throughout Scripture specifically named while delivering a message to someone. So given some of those descriptions of angels and the assumption of them having some kind of otherworldly aura or appearance, no matter how humanoid, it does not seem that all surprising that someone who encounters an angel might be frightened or scared out of their minds or just caught off guard at their sudden appearance and being scared or surprised like you would expect someone to be. Okay. Now that we got that out of the way, let's go back to Zachariah and Elizabeth. So this angel Gabriel appears to Zachariah, and he tells him something very important. He says, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth is going to bear you a son. You're going to name him John. You're going to be really happy, joy, and gladness. And a lot of people are going to rejoice at his birth. And he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He can't drink wine or strong drink. But even before he's born, he is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he is going to turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And yes, Zechariah is skeptical or confused at this declaration because both he and Elizabeth are old. Although we're not told how old that actually is. And because he doesn't believe right away, Gabriel makes him unable to speak until John is born. But this message brings hope, and it brings it to many people and in many ways. Let's start with Elizabeth, even though she gets the least amount of uh, focus, uh, it seems, in this passage. In verse 25, she herself says, This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. When Elizabeth gets pregnant with John, she finally is able to give Zechariah a child, which was a really big part of a wife's duty back in those days. So Elizabeth finds hope for her and Zachariah, as well as hope in, in not being a disgrace in her community or hurting his position as a priest by not having a child. And while it is unfortunate in light of modern times that Elizabeth had to deal with all of the negative attitudes and whatnot, that was the reality of that time. Now, Zechariah also finds hope in this message from Gabriel, and I would argue that he finds hope in at least two ways or perspectives. First, he shares that hope that Elizabeth does as they are now going to have a child, and she's not going to be seen poorly among the people, and he's going to have a child, and their lives will be more full 
and their family will be more full and everything's going to be awesome. Or at least that's the assumption we have based on Gabriel saying in verse 14, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. But then there's another perspective of hope that while it is not specifically mentioned, I believe it is still there in the background. Gabriel continues in verse 15 through 17, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before he is born, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, as a parent, that sounds pretty good. You find out your child is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to turn people back to the Lord and help prepare people for the Lord. And then as a priest, someone who has been witness to how the people have waned in their worship of God, their, their following of the commandments and the laws, their shrinking attention to God, this has to bring him some hope. Finally, someone is going to come along and help bring the people back to God and help them to be better followers, to prepare for the Lord, to revive the people in their faith. Trust me, this is a message of hope. And there is even something of a hidden message of hope depending on how carefully you are listening or reading this section of Scripture, specifically in verses 16 and 17. I want to read those to you one more time. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He will go before him. Him, as in Jesus, the coming Savior and Messiah. Now, whether or not Zechariah understood that Gabriel was talking about and not specifically Jesus, but the promised Messiah, we don't really know for sure. But that message of hope is still present here too. Gabriel, he gets to bring this message several times, depending on which gospel you're reading and which translation, but it may be a different kind of message depending on the recipient. In this instance, though, we have a message of hope. Hope for a soon-to-be mother and soon-to-be father. Hope for a priest and for a people. Hope for the world. For countless, maybe endless years to come. Gabriel's message brought hope for many people at the time it was delivered. And it continues to bring us hope after all these years, as we venture through the season of Advent and move closer and closer to the season of Christmas. A hope for all people in all creation. 
a hope overflowing with potential and possibility and one that has continued to shape generation after generation in faith and grace. Amen. Our closing song this morning is number 211, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and we will be singing verses 1 through 4. Beloved children of God, may the God of steadfastness and encouragement 
grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a blessed week.